Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going back to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, reading the first two verses. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. We are concluding our series this morning on being mixed with faith. Amen. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the fact that humanity is made in the image of God. We spoke about the fact that God, Genesis makes it very clear that God created them male and female, and that that was as much a powerful creation statement as let there be light and cannot be ignored any more than you can choose to ignore the sun. And we also understand that the devil is driven to oppose God. That is his purpose, and as such, he wants to do all that he can through the vehicle of our sinful nature, that's his primary tool, to further twist and corrupt the image that we were created to be. We discussed how that human sexuality is inseparable from that original image that we were designed to be, and yet it is one of the most destructive ways to pervert the image creature is the promotion of misuse and abuse of that sexuality. We read from Romans chapter 1 how that is, it unpacks the degeneration of humanity as they reject God and worship themselves and the idols of their own making. Amen. Again, as I did last week, I want to remind us this morning that it is important that we view these things through the lens of our faith in God and in His Word. Whatever's going on around about us, whatever things are thought and practiced, if we are believers in Jesus, our perspective, our point of view, our understanding must always come back to the Word of God. We need to be able to know what we believe. Amen. We can't just have blurry concepts. We need to know what we believe. But just as that is crucial, it is also crucial to recognize that we have all sinned. And so some of the things that we teach about in church are, we find in our past. There are sinful behaviors and practices that when we teach about what the Word of God says about them, they resonate with us because of our history. Amen? That's just the fact. And so when we do teach about the Bible and sinful behavior, some of us will feel that a little more personally than others in certain areas. But that's okay because just like we read, the Apostle Paul said, such were some of you, but you've been washed. And it's very clear, I want to make it very, very clear this morning that at no point when we teach about sin are we condemning or shaming anyone for anything that is under the blood of Jesus. The loudest voice in this house needs to be the voice of grace because without that we are lost. None of us, not a single one of us can cleanse our own hands. We all depend on him for forgiveness, restoration and wholeness. Amen. So with that being underlined again, I want to finish this series today with another aspect that is related to humanity being created in the image of God, and that is the subject of the sanctity of human life. Sanctity of human life. Sanctity simply means the holiness or the sacredness of something. 
Contrary to a lot of modern points of view, humanity is not simply another creature. It's not simply another animal. It's not simply another part of nature. Humanity is the only image creature in all of the wonder of creation, and creation is incredible. And I've been blessed to travel. I've seen landscape. I've seen animals. I've seen cultures in, in a lot of different settings, and all of that reflects the creative majesty of God. But humanity is the only image creature. It is the image that God would use to manifest himself in the flesh. He did not come as an animal. He came in his own image creature. And we are the only creature to have sinned. And therefore, the only creature that needs a savior. And so what does God think about the value of life, particularly in regard to the taking of another person's life? Genesis chapter 9, I'm going to read three verses here, Genesis chapter 9, verse 4 to 6. It says, But the flesh with the life thereof, which is in the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. You know, that's where the practice of people bleeding animals at abattoirs comes from. They drain the blood from an animal when they, when they slaughter an animal for food. The Lord said that because life is in the blood, you don't eat flesh that still has the blood in it. Now, just to clarify that for some of you, that little bit of juice that runs out of your steak on a barbecue is not blood, all right? Some people think that if they eat a medium rare steak, they're eating blood. If you cook it to well done, it's still in there. It's just got dry and nasty and should be thrown in the bin. So, but we do not eat flesh that still has the blood in it. Verse 5 says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast I will require it. You can read in other places where if an animal killed a human, that beast was to be killed. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. A life for a life. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, part of the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, simply says, Thou shalt not kill. Now, I believe that most Hebrew scholars would suggest that that would be better translated as thou shalt not murder, but they're overlapping concepts, obviously. Some New Testament observations. Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 18, says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. You see, the disciples in this text have been criticized for not washing their hands before they ate, which was something that they observed religiously. Now, Jesus pointed out that corruption comes from within the heart of a man, not from without. Jesus wasn't against hygiene. It's not a bad idea to wash your hands before you eat, particularly if you've been playing with a dog or whatever you've been doing. Okay? But what Jesus was focusing on was that he was revealing that the sinful heart of humanity was the issue. Not necessarily how many times you washed your hands during COVID, but the sinful heart of humanity is the source of sin and that murder was one of those sins and that will definitely defile a man. Galatians chapter 5, it's not on the slides, but Galatians 5 lists murder as one of the works of the flesh that would keep a person out of the kingdom of God. 
First John chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 and 39 says, You have heard that it has been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's, that was the Old Testament law. If you carelessly injured me and cost me one of the, the sight in one of my eyes, I had the right to poke out one of your eyes. It was a very um, vengeful kind of arrangement. And that was, that was the law. If, if, as we just read before, if, if you killed my brother, then under the law I had the right to kill you. In fact, I was required by the law to kill you. But then Jesus said in verse 39, But I say unto you, so grateful that he carried on and didn't leave it there, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now some people think that you have to do that, you know, it's the principle of being willing to take poor treatment. If somebody punches me in the face, I'm not going to go, have this side as well. That's not what it's saying. It's talking about not retaliating in the principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. A couple of verses later in verse 43, it says, You have heard that it has been said, You shall love your neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Man, you need the Holy Ghost for that. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. When was the last time, don't raise your hand, when was the last time you did good to somebody that you felt hated you? There's a challenge. So just from these examples, we can see that it is against the will of God to take another life. Now, one of the challenges that we can face as Christians when we begin to talk about this subject and how God doesn't want us to kill anybody is reconciling the killing that took place in the Old Testament, particularly that which was ordered by God. Because if you know much about your Old Testament, there were times that the Lord said, see those folks? Wipe them out. It happened in the Old Testament. One of the things we always have to keep in mind when we read Scripture, particularly some of the things that happened in the Old Testament, not everything that people did was endorsed by God. Some of it is simply the account of what people did. It doesn't mean because it's written there that God wants us to do exactly the things that other people did in their lives. Sometimes their lives are actually a warning rather than an instruction. But having said that, there certainly were times that God specifically gave instruction for people or people groups to be eliminated. Now, in our current world, that is completely incompatible. But we know from Romans chapter 6 that the wages or the consequences of sin is death. We also know, we covered this last Sunday morning, we also know that God can pronounce judgment whenever and however he sees fit. He's God. There's no uh, appeals board. There's no ombudsman you know, that you can go and talk to when you think God is unfair. He's God. So what he says goes, goes. And if he says it's just, it's just. He is the measure of what is just. Amen. And we need to remember that in the Old Testament, the people of God were a nation. And they were under a direct theocracy. And we live in a democracy, which means the people rule, the people vote. Theocracy means God rules. They were under the direct rule of God. Now, when you read the Old Testament, when there was conflict, sometimes God fought their enemies for them. Sometimes they didn't even have to go to battle and God took care of business. Sometimes they fought and God gave them the victory. And sometimes they were the instrument of God's judgment. 
For example, possibly one of the most well-known accounts is when King Saul was told to destroy the Amalekites. They were a sinful people. God had decided that it was time for them to be judged. And he told Saul, this is what I want you to do. So it wasn't Saul's decision. It was a direct instruction from God. God is a righteous judge. And God judges as he sees fit and how he sees fit. Now, that's not always going to be compatible with how I see fit. And I know, I've had people talk to me for years that say, I really struggle with that. And that's okay. Because it's a different time. It's God doing things the way that God wants to do those things. Amen. Sometimes, like in the story of Noah, which we mentioned last week, God's judgment was global. Sometimes, such as the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was localized. But God judged when and how he saw fit. And when he judged those people in those situations, it was final. They had reached the point where he said, it's time for you to receive your wages. That's what, they'd, that's what had happened. Amen. Now, in the New Testament church, God deals with individuals, not with nations. And he reserves judgment and requires that we do not attempt to be the judge of others. That doesn't mean we, assess, we don't assess other people's behaviors. It means it's not up to us to say, you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. That's his department. The Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We need to be very aware that this is judgment delayed, not forgotten. He's the same God. We're in an age of the goodness, of the grace and the mercy of God, but it is judgment delayed, not forgotten. You read the end of the book, there is a judgment that is coming that is more final than any of the judgments that have gone before. Amen. We need to be aware of that. And if you remember from our last two lessons, and we're going to probably mention this a couple of times this morning, we spoke of how sinful behavior in our society generally follows a pattern, where firstly we are shocked by certain behavior, where then we begin to accept that behavior, then that behavior becomes normalized, and eventually it becomes promoted in our society. And it's no different from what we are considering today. So considering the sanctity of human life, the first topic I want to touch on this morning is the subject of abortion. Psalms 139, and starting at verse 13. <clears throat> Again, our past is under the blood. Amen. Psalms 139 and verse 13 says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. I want to read a more modern translation of that. This is what the New Living Version says about that. It says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day 
had passed. David wrote these words in a time in history under the inspiration of God where from a scientific platform he had little if any knowledge whatsoever of how a child develops in the womb. And yet it was clear as he wrote under the inspiration of God that God was personally involved with the beginning and development of a child within the womb. The prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah both record that the Lord had plans for them while they were still in their mother's wombs. You can read that early in both of those books. In Luke chapter 1, a newly pregnant Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant with the child that we would later know as John the Baptist. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the Bible says that the child in her womb, young John, leaps for joy as it hears the voice of the mother of Jesus. Amen. Now, the advances of modern science have allowed us the ability to study life at both its beginning and its ending at a level of fine detail that is quite incredible. It is. It's incredible. And there are positives with that. And we'll touch on some of those. But one of the side effects of this incredible advance of knowledge is that man begins to wander into the territory that belongs to God and begins to try to draw lines between when something is alive and when it is not. And that's God's territory. When Mary was told of her conception by the angel, there were no blood tests, no scans, None of these groovy three-dimensional ultrasound pictures that people get nowadays where you can see how weird and twisted your child looks in the womb and yet it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Now, I'm sure that all the old ladies in the village had their secret ways of telling if it was a boy or a girl. No, but, but nobody really knew until birth unless you had a prophecy. Elizabeth and Mary had a little bit of inside information. But for most people... Until the child was born, everything was yet to be revealed. And thankfully, there were no social media gender reveals in the Bible. But today, today we can monitor development from a very early stage. We can look for certain markers of health and growth. We can look for areas of concern. In the world in which we live, they can even perform surgery on a child while it is still in the womb. That's incredible. That's incredible. And while some of these things are great, because of the wickedness of our world, the debate rages around when it is a human life and when it is acceptable to terminate a pregnancy. Or we might say, at what point do we consider it too late to be okay to have an abortion? At what point is it a human life? Now, why, why is this important? Of all the things I could teach as your pastor, why is this important? In Western Australia, we have recently seen our government pass some of the most liberal, loose abortion laws in all of our land. Now, that's not something I want us to win. But we have some of the 
most terrible laws that have been passed in our government. One of our politicians, a lady in fact, in Parliament described the process of having abortion as being on par with having a tooth removed. That's our world. That's why it's important that we know what does the Word of God say? That our thinking comes from a foundation that is mixed with faith, not with humanism. Amen. Remember our process. Shocked by certain behavior, accepting that behavior, normalizing that behavior, and promoting that behavior. Abortion, at least in our Western society, was once rare and usually for exceptional circumstances. But today's laws, the laws we have in Western Australia right now, allow for an abortion to take place simply because the child is not the gender that you wanted. That's how loose it's become. In some places in the world, and this is growing, not getting smaller, abortion is permitted right up to the very end of pregnancy. So, and I know some of this is a little bit confronting, but this is the world we live in. So if you were to kill a child a week after it was born, you would go to prison. If you were to kill that child a week before it was born, that's okay. That's the world in which we live. That's the world in which we live. This idea would never have been considered, even in fairly recent times, even when I was young, and I'm not that old, contrary to my children's opinion. In recent years, that idea would never have been considered, but it is another demonstration of how sin progresses and humanity accepts it. The, the things that went through our parliament were celebrated. Not just accepted, they were celebrated as being a victory for the rights of women. Amen. But from the scriptures we have read, God is directly involved in the development of the child in the womb from the first day. Now, I believe God's word gives us guidance that we can use to respond to this. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version just because it, it's a little bit clearer. But in Exodus chapter 21, so we're talking about the law, okay? We're still, we're still in a similar time in history where if you kill my brother, I kill you, okay? Exodus chapter 21 and verse 22 says, If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge is determined. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. So, if men are fighting and somehow a pregnant lady is involved, whether she gets in the mix or she happens to just be standing too close, and she is hurt so that she goes into labor and delivers the child, if the child survives, then there will still be negotiated consequences, is basically what it's saying, for the man who struck the woman. But if the child is born prematurely and the child is lost, does not survive the premature birth, then the man who struck the pregnant lady will lose his life as a consequence. That's what it says. This makes it very clear that God considers the unborn life 
to be of equal value to the life of a grown man. That's clear in that passage. Amen. It also tells us that somehow they knew she was pregnant. It does not tell us how far along she was, how many weeks, how many months, but they knew and that was enough. And so whatever methods or measures they had or didn't have to determine that someone was pregnant, it was enough. So in 2023, with our advanced scientific ability to determine pregnancy much earlier than they could back then, that simply means that we become aware of our responsibility to nourish that life sooner, not to decide when we can end it. The moment we are aware of it, we have to change our behavior to nourish that life. Whatever, whenever that point is, Amen. And once we correctly acknowledge that in the sight of God a child is a human life from conception, then all of our views on this subject must start at that point. Because it becomes blurry when people say it's not a human life until. Biblically speaking, as the psalmist so powerfully said, God knew what was going on when those pieces were beginning to be put together for the very first time. Amen. Now, again, I know this is a subject that we want to walk delicately with, but some of the more common arguments for abortion are, what if the mother and or the baby's life are at risk? Firstly, that's not that common. It's one of those things that people magnify to use in an argument. But the goal should always be to save both lives. If both lives are of equal value, then the goal should be to save both lives. Now, if in that effort, a life is tragically lost, and that is tragic, and we don't make light of that in any way whatsoever. It is still a preferable outcome than simply choosing who dies. If we lose somebody in that process, it needs to be within the effort of trying to save them both. Amen. And then there is the question of what if the pregnancy is a result of an assault? And it is beyond my comprehension, to imagine how difficult a thing that would be for a woman to endure. It is beyond my ability to do that because I'm a man and, and it's just not possible. And if that was to happen, care for that lady and her situation must be paramount and her hurt and her well-being must be taken very, very seriously. But we cannot just, uh, justify, sorry, we cannot justify the murder of a child because of the wickedness of a man. If it's life, it's life. And if an infant is a human life in the sight of God, to end it because of the actions of someone else is wrong. Again, I'm not. Again, I don't. Th the statistics of that happening are not very high. But even if it does, I'm not making light of that. I think the offender in that situation should be apprehended and punished to the full extent of the law. And if I was writing the law, there'd be a few extra things on the list. It's a good thing I'm not writing the law. I wouldn't keep myself accountable to it, obviously. There'd be a loophole for that because that's human nature. But, but people who commit those kind of crimes should suffer the full weight of the law because of the horrendous consequences of those actions. But to end the life of an infant because of the sin of a man is also not justifiable. Now, again, trying to be sensitive. Situations like these 
need to be handled with great care and compassion, but never with the compromising of the sanctity of human life. And sadly, in the Western world, the vast majority of abortions are performed simply for reasons of convenience rather than these extreme examples. I read some, it's, it's difficult to, I'm not a huge fan of statistics and they're not always accurate, but somebody said, some statistics I looked at suggested that in Australia somewhere around 40% of pregnancies were unintended and that around about half of those were aborted. Half of those unintended pregnancies. I don't, can't give you numbers, but those percentages are significant enough. So, biblically speaking, in the sight of God, whose opinion matters more than anybody else's, the, to deliberately kill an unborn child is the same as killing a person that has already been born in the eyes of God. Now, the principle, again, we're dealing with some sensitive stuff today. The principle of not taking another person's life also applies to the taking of your own life or of suicide. Again, an incredibly complicated and sensitive topic, especially for those, and I know some here have been directly affected by it. And one of the questions that people ask often in their grief is, if somebody has been born again and then they commit suicide, what happens to them? Do they go to heaven? And as I said, that question is usually asked by a grieving person seeking some comfort to hold on to in their time of loss, and that is perfectly understandable. The act, to put it in a cut-and-dry sense, the act of taking a life, yours or someone else's, is wrong in the sight of God. However, if a person murders another person, and then in the courts of law it is established that there is a psychological issue, that has contributed to their decision-making process, the consequences and the handling of that individual are sometimes adjusted. They're not released back into society usually, but they may be put in a facility that specialises in the care and treatment of those who have certain mental illnesses that have produced dangerous behaviour. Their mental state is sometimes deemed to reduce the responsibility for their action. Now, this is a grey area... And it's also one that our courts love to manipulate to get people off more severe consequences. But in the same manner, a person who ends their own life may well be suffering from a mental illness. Now, it does not change the fact that the action is wrong, but it may speak to their ability to make sound judgments. And it is very difficult, I would suggest basically impossible, to accurately assess that after the tragic event. So we leave that in the hands of God, knowing that he is a just judge and that it is not our job to decide people's final outcome. We don't, we're not looking for loopholes. We're not looking for excuses. We understand that in the sight of God, human life is sacred and that it is not acceptable to end it. But there are areas where people's behavior and judgment is affected by things that we may not completely comprehend. Now, that doesn't mean we're saying it doesn't matter. That's his job. Our job is to preach to the living. What happens on the other side is in the hands of the King of Kings. And your opinion and my opinion don't carry a whole lot of weight over there. He's the judge. He's the King of Kings. Amen. We leave those things in his hands and we focus our efforts on comforting the family who remain.
Amen. Lastly this morning, and yeah, this may not be a message where you get too excited, but these are important things that we understand. I want us to consider the subject of euthanasia, or as it's more commonly called nowadays, medically assisted dying. Again, we are blessed in so many ways with the advance of medical science, amen? Uh, some people believe you should just trust God for everything and go to a doctor. I don't have that level of faith. I'm happy to go to the doctor. I do trust God. I trust that he gave my doctor a brain. And he gave my doctor the ability to take care of me. So we are blessed. And there are people in this room that have had surgeries or treatments that have saved our lives and continue to help save our lives. Amen. You know, it's, it's like when people say, I, I don't want to go, you know, they want to do everything at home. It's like, what's wrong with a perfectly good hospital? You know, but anyway, I know people have had bad experiences. I don't want to get off track. But I personally have several health conditions that without medication and treatment, I would not be standing here this morning. Somebody else would be filling this role because without that treatment, they would have lined up to take care of me for good. But I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful. I'm ultimately thankful for the Lord because it comes from Him. Amen. There's so many things that have happened with the intelligence that God gave man. You drove the church this morning in a car. That's man-made. The idea came from man's creative. I'm glad I didn't have to ride a horse to church this morning. I'm glad that intelligence has developed. I'm glad that somebody thought of air conditioning. I've often said whoever invented air conditioning should almost get a free pass to heaven. Almost. I don't believe anybody does, but that person... I hope they're saved because I'd like to thank them personally. And we are blessed with medical science. We are thankful for that. But that incredible knowledge we have is also a double-edged sword. Just as it can look at such detail in the beginning of life, it has the ability to do so at the end of life. And we're able to measure brain activity. We're able to measure heart function major organ function at such a level that it becomes blurry ethically about, well, when is life actually ending and when is it, when is it still viable? And, and again, it, it causes us to wander into God's territory just as much as it did assessing when life begins. And there, there's all sorts of medical treatment and equipment and life support now that can blur the reality of is somebody actually living or just being kept alive by a machine. And in our own lives and in the lives of family members, difficult decisions need to be made at some point about how long should somebody be kept alive by a machine. And those things aren't always black and white. They require careful consideration and as believers, prayerful consideration. We take those things seriously. When is the appropriate time to decide that the machine should be switched off and allow somebody to pass away? There is a time for that. We know these bodies will die. We, the Bible lets us know we have an appointment with death that unlike the dentist, we can't ignore. We haven't, everybody, if the Lord tarries, will die. But there does come a point at the end of life where death is inevitable and recovery is impossible. Regardless of science, we believe in miracles. I believe God can heal anything. Any, there is no ailment that God cannot deliver us from. But we have to balance that by recognizing that people still pass away. There comes a point where one of the consequences of sin is that our bodies age. With aging comes 
malfunction, susceptibility to certain things that we didn't have when we were younger and eventually there is a point where that life finishes. Now we don't say that lightly or flippantly. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the life to come. We understand that death is not the end. Amen. Our hope is beyond this life and you know, there, there comes a point, I believe. I don't believe this is a lack of faith. I actually believe this is a right understanding of faith. And I'll stand to be corrected, but there comes a point where instead of praying for healing, we need to pray that God would just strengthen someone's faith. That when that time comes, they're ready to be with Him. Amen. Amen. First of all, we do not like to see our loved ones suffer. But life belongs to God. He is the life giver. We are the stewards of that life. He is the life giver. There is, there is a big difference between making someone comfortable and terminating their existence. And we are blessed to live in a time and a place where pain treatment is advanced. We are. We're very blessed. The, the ability to make someone's suffering reduced or limited is, is something that I'm glad we have. You know, if I go to the doctor and they say, do you want the anesthetic? You want to do this pain-free? It's like, give me the anesthetic. You know, you know and there are all sorts of personal opinions, but I remember when we were getting ready to, to, to have our first child and we were talking to the doctor about some of these various ideas for pain relief and we asked the doctor for his opinion. He said, well, if you had a broken arm, would you like an anesthetic? Well, that's not a bad point. I'd probably like an anesthetic. And I know there are different opinions about that and I'm not interested in getting into that conversation. But we are blessed to be in a time where that treatment is available. But you see, when the discussions around assisted dying first began, the idea was that terminally ill people with no hope for successful treatment could be relieved of their suffering by ending their lives medically. Now, at surface level, it seemed to be kind. It seemed to be humane. And in not too recent history, people would travel from countries where it was illegal to countries where it was legal to take advantage of that. Uh, but in keeping with all other moral compromises, it has progressed. And again, we see the process. Shocked, accepting, normalising and promoting. Western Australia again, winning the gold medal has passed assisted dying laws. It just slipped through Parliament, I think it was around 2021, when we were all thinking about COVID. They slipped those laws through our Parliament. And there is discussion now where you can make some of those decisions on a telehealth consult. That's the world in which we live. This is a quote I want to read to you from the Psychiatric Times in June 2021 speaking about some of these assisted dying laws in Canada. It says countries, and this is not, this is a professional, it's not a religious publication, countries that have allowed medically assisted dying in a limited number of cases have quickly found themselves descending a slippery slope. Prominent critic Wesley J. Smith, J.D., noted, once a society embraces doctor-prescribed death, as an acceptable answer to, to human suffering or as some kind of fundamental liberty right, there are no breaks. We need only to look at some European countries that have gone down the euthanasia highway 
to see how society has, is impacted by accepting killing as a suitable answer to the problem of human suffering. Indeed, Belgium and the Netherlands are now debating the extension of euthanasia beyond medical conditions to include those who feel they have a completed life or are tired of living. There is even discussion of demedicalizing euthanasia by providing lethal over-the-counter pills. Pegasus, a self-proclaimed voluntary assisted dying association based in Basel in Switzerland, currently provides euthanasia for non-medical suicide tourists. That's what it says. And in Western Australia, we are passing similar legislation. These are heavy subjects this morning, but they're important subjects. As believers, we need to have a Bible-based understanding of the sanctity of human life, of how precious it is in the sight of God. We need to teach these things to our children. We need to be aware of the philosophies in our world. If you if you want some more information about some of these things, the Australian Christian Lobby is very proactive in providing information about what governments are doing. You can look at their website. You can get their emails. They're often sending out prayer requests or updates about what's happening in our governments. If that's something you'd like. I know some of you here subscribe to that already. But we need to teach our children these things. They need to grow up understanding that what the world says is not fact. It is opinion. Ultimately, as reflected in Romans chapter 1, these things are the product of man wanting to be his own God. My will, my body, my life, my pleasure, my rights, my choice. That's what it's all about. But in the same epistle, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies. A living sacrifice. Not a dead one. A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to God. Do not think the way that they think. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate or testify what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Stand with me if you would this morning. May his word be mixed with faith in our lives that it may be profitable for us. Let's just lift our hands and thank him for his word today.